0: available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Welcome, listeners, to another edition of the Primal Blueprint Podcast, and today we have Mark Allen with us, and if you're not familiar with the sport of triathlon, you know that uh, Mark Sisson and myself have that long history in the sport, and we're talking to the greatest triathlete of all time. And it's such a privilege to get you on the podcast,
1: Mark. Yeah, I thought you were the greatest triathlete of all time. I got it. I guess I got that wrong. I don't know.
0: Well, as the quote goes, the older the older we get, the faster we were. <laughs> and um, offline, we were talking about how how impressive our performances were way, way back when. So it it is true. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a marvel. And in your case, uh, for those listeners unfamiliar with your career, the, the amount of, of work you accomplished and how hard you worked, and of course the success you had too, but the whole package of what you did to be really one of the pioneers of the sport, one of the early, early guys, one of the earliest professionals ever to actually you know, pick up a check and make it your profession, but also the longevity of going. Um, you won the world championships in Nice, France 10 times out of 10 tries. And then over in Hawaii, the Hawaii Ironman, you bag six victories in Hawaii, um, had a few more tries than than six, but that's part of the allure of your story and your, your characters that you struggled so much as an athlete and, and tried so hard to, to achieve that ultimate goal and had assorted setbacks and then came through and, and found the winning formula and and you know piled up those wins and that overall competitive record that's still unrivaled today
1: yeah you know I, I i i always i was cynical at points during the early years of ironman racing thinking you know why haven't i won this thing i can win other races everywhere but i come to kona and i have have the major meltdown you know i can I can be leading the race off the bike, I can be leading the race halfway through the marathon, I can be leading the race with three or four miles to go, but I can't cross that finish line in first. But uh in retrospect, looking back over, you know, the sum total of everything, I realized that it was those those making it through those tough races and the toughest moments in the tough races where it didn't turn out right that enabled me to then sort of draw upon a steadiness when i was actually having a good race uh to make it come out the way it did and get those six six victories because no matter how um great the race looks from the outside at at ironman in hawaii there you have a thousand moments where you want to quit where you want to give up where you know your your energy is fading where somebody's farther ahead than you had planned them to be and um you know it, it takes it takes a certain amount of steadiness to just Stick with it and, and stay fully engaged, regardless of how impossible the outcome might look. And that, that's that's kind of what I learned in those early, earlier years racing there, where uh, you know I was second, third, fifth, but not, but not first. And in the end, that was the gold that enabled me to uh, put the the six victories together. Part of it, anyway.
0: Uh, and I, I think the cool thing here, I mean, this is not a. Try geek podcast, if you want to go and listen to Mark talk at length about the intricacies of the racing and the the wins and losses, there's some great material on the internet, but most of our listeners are just primal paleo healthy living enthusiasts. But mm-hmm. that point that you jumped right into, I think is relevant to all areas of life, and you and I have both been retired from the professional circuit, blowing our brains out for many, many years. But you pull on these lessons, and that ability to release your attachment to the outcome, something you want so badly, you want to succeed so badly, but sometimes that can get in your way. And it it happens in the workplace, relationships, uh, all kinds of fitness goals, losing weight, being too fixated on the outcome and struggling accordingly.
1: You know, there has to be a certain amount of um, sort of satisfaction or pleasure in just making those small steps. And uh, uh, you know, progressing toward whatever that big goal is, uh, to the point where the small steps become the the great victories. And when that happens, then that puts you squarely in the crosshairs of achieving that ultimate goal of whatever it might be—losing weight, being more healthy, uh, becoming a faster athlete, better person, whatever it is. But all, all of those all of those big changes. Uh, Happen very slowly over time, as as you know, Brad, and um, you know I, I had to learn that as an athlete that uh, you know fitness doesn't come at the speed of Twitter. It takes years to develop that real core fitness and to do it in a way that that it's healthy. And you you touched on that a little bit. Um, you know my career lasted 15 years as a professional triathlete, which was longer than most, uh, and I and I was able to pretty much get a little bit faster each of those 15 years which was unheard of and um you know my my approach was to do what i could uh but still honor my body uh meaning you know certainly at at points I, i pushed the limit of what i was capable of doing but then i would back off and recover um i took long off seasons i didn't over over race and uh i think it's because of that you know i had a a pretty long career and was able to win ironman at age 37 which in my final victory and that was the oldest champion at that time
0: well i think that's we all uh looked up to you you were setting the pace in the sport and winning all the races but at the same time you were probably one of the least um obsessive compulsive types (laughs) And it was a wonderful lesson for me, especially because, you know, y- you want something so bad, and and there's guys in front of you on the race course, in my case, um, and, uh, you know, we-, we were so programmed to think that the way to get there is to just uh, push on the gas pedal harder. Mm. And I remember... Um, going down on the, the world-famous Tuesday run in San Diego, of which you were a, a frequent participant. And it was a, it was a real big-time deal, right? There was 50, 60 guys out there in the parking lot, and the pace was very lively, and you would see all your top competitors on the world circuit, so you could really gauge how you did. And, you know, I'd, I'd go down only occasionally from my training base in L.A., and it would be on a day where, geez, I better get ready to bring it. I'm not just going to drive down there for fun. I'm going to, you know, try to stay in the lead pack. And I remember one day going through that grueling 12-mile running session on the trails in North San Diego County and then finishing and uh, stretching out in the parking lot and chit-chatting. And then here comes running up the road um, the world's number one triathlete, Mark Allen, several minutes behind the final guy, the final straggler in the back of the pack. And I, I went up to you in the parking lot. I'm like, Mark, what's going on, man? You're, you're so far <laughs> off the back. People are already heading out to breakfast. And you told me that, in case you don't remember, Mark, I know you did a lot of Tuesday runs. You told me that you overslept a bit and started the workout late. And it's like for the outside observer looking at the you know the great sport of triathlon and the guy on the magazine cover every month and he overslept a bit and missed this most important most lively competitive workout of the entire week down there with all the top pros
1: i loved my sleep that was one of my secrets uh you know i when i was done with my training at the end of the day i was done and i i didn't uh I didn't obsess. I didn't analyze. You know, it's just like okay, I I did my swim, my bike, my run, and now I'm done. And then I was just just myself, a normal person that had nothing to do with with being a triathlete. And so when I went to bed at night, you know, I got great sleep, deep sleep, and I think that really helped me to recover. And people discount sleep, they discount recovery, and they discount uh, how the overall. Um, l- volume of life stress needs to be taken into account when you're when you 're thinking about how much should I train or how fast should I train or you know what what are my goals it, uh, is is the stress that i 'm under holding me back from losing that weight is it is it uh, sort of blinding me to being able to choose food choices that are actually f- fueling my body as opposed to just satisfying um, you know, some some craving that's being created because I'm overly stressed, and so that you know that was kind of one of the uh, under underlying things that I really tried to do was to keep my life fairly stress low stress, uh, which meant that sometimes yeah I I missed that that start line of the Tuesday run or the Wednesday ride and would end up doing my own thing because the sleep was more important than logging another fast workout.
0: Yeah and that's the 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 cool thing about being an athlete I think is the the graphic nature of success and failure. So if you did step over that line at any point and compromise sleep, compromise peak performance in some way, um you're going to get injured, you're going to get your butt kicked in the next race. And here we are in the the regular workplace world, the rat race where You know, there's no immediate penalty for flipping open that laptop screen and catching up on emails from from 10 p.m. until 11.15. But in the long run, and, you know, brain studies and science show this, you're compromising your effectiveness and your performance when you skimp on sleep and when you get your hormones out of balance. And you mentioned the weight loss goal, and it's, you know, becoming more and more apparent that the quality of your sleep is directly relevant to your ability to even do something as seemingly unrelated as dropping excess body fat Hmm.
1: yeah like um for me i I, i'm still kind of a nine to ten hour a night kind of a guy you know i i I exercise pretty much every day but my my go-to activity now where i live in santa cruz is surfing Uh, but it's a great it's great cardio. It's it's my my yoga because you're moving in every every different direction. It's not just a, a linear motion like running or, or cycling. Uh, it's my time in nature. You know, it's just hanging out with the guys in the water. And um, but it, it takes energy, and I got to recover from it. And uh, I I find that nine, sometimes ten hours of sleep that does it. If I get seven or eight, um, I'm just not as sharp, and it become if it. If I stick with the, that less sleep over time, I see that it becomes more difficult to f- to uh concentrate to work with um sort of more logical details that have to do with my work and uh so sleep is sleep is one of the secrets to, to youth i think Oh my god, you have no idea how
0: validated and and happy I feel that you said that because i uh a lot of times feel like a wuss because I absolutely need nine to 10 hours. And when I was racing during that nine year, I only lasted nine years, Mark. I I crapped out at the age of 30, but uh, (laughs) I slept for half that time. I slept for the 10 every night and I took a two hour nap every afternoon. And right. then you know, we have little kids and then all of a sudden it goes down to seven or eight and it was like it was a disaster for me. I was I was very, very sensitive, but you you get socialized in, in the especially in the working world and the normal everyday life that um you know, what the heck's your problem? And I, I feel like, geez, you know, I need to take a nap several days a week. And does that make me, you know, is there something wrong with me? But now if Mark Allen says 9 to 10, I am I am <laughs> strong on that 9 to 10. 9 to 10 is, there, there you have it, listeners. How do you stack up? You know, come on.
1: You know, people, the, you know, all the studies you, you, you read out there say, oh, you, you have to try to get at least seven or eight hours of sleep a night, you know, good quality sleep. And I'm thinking that just sounds sleep deprived, and I, I don't, I don't think that maybe in ancient times that uh, seven or eight would have been short. But I, I just think that our bodies are are under so much more demand these days with um, with everything from the the volume of emails that people emails and texts and stuff that they're doing intellectually and. And uh, maybe a lot of the uncertainty with jobs that people have, or maybe they're just not happy in the job that they do have, so they're not being, you know, it's not fueling that inner fire. And uh, I think you just need more sleep to sort of reset and uh, rebalance.
0: Well, especially when you're introducing something that's completely foreign to our genetic experience, which is artificial light, And digital stimulation after dark. And we've had two million years to when the sun's gone down in in the history of uh, humanity, um, we didn't do much until Thomas Edison came along and then Steve Jobs and uh, uh, the guys (laughs) behind Netflix and everything else. So we're in, in very recent history We're we're dramatically interfering with our circadian rhythm, which is so tied into light and dark cycles. And you Mm. know, if you go out and go camping, pretty soon after it gets dark, you get sleepy. You you roast your marshmallows on the fire, and then you know it's time to go to bed. There's nothing else to do. And now we got tons to do after dark. So that's Mm. the that's the big disconnect, I think.
1: Yeah, we're. uh, It's it's hard to sort of place yourself way back in time and say, okay, now what were my ancestors doing? How did how did they maintain balance? You know, I, as you know, I've studied shamanism for many years with Brant Secunda. And, and, uh, one of the main th- things that he tries to help people to, to do is to connect with that world of nature. You know, he says when you're out in nature, it reduces your stress, it, um, rebalances your, uh, your entire system. You feel good. You know, you have a, a better, um, outlook and, and mindset. And, um, you know, this is ancient Wechil Indian shamanism. It's been taught, taught and handed down for thousands and thousands of years. And now, uh, science is finally catching up and, and proving some of this stuff. Like they, you know, one study that, they, that I was reading recently, they had two groups exercise. One did it uh, in a gym for 30 minutes, uh, some kind of stationary biking thing and a, another group exercised outside for 30 minutes and there was a dramatic difference in the reduction of stress hormones for those who were exercising outside in nature you know we're just we're just hardwired to feel good when we we are in that environment and uh you know in the modern world we get disconnected from from that environment because we're in, in these rooms that, that don't have natural light where we get disconnected from the rhythms because you know eleven o'clock every night your your light can still be on like you said, and we get disconnected from even the the seasonal variations in light you know like right now it's turning into fall, so what's happening well, in ancient peoples, they just start going to bed earlier and getting more sleep that's part of the rhythm of of how we go through the seasons and we can sort of wreak havoc on that natural day-to-day rhythm, and and even seasonal yearly rhythm because of uh, the environments that we put ourselves in.
0: Yeah, there's a great book called Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival, and the authors make a great case in there that instead of this uh, lip service saying everyone should get eight hours of sleep, they argue that um, your sleep hours should vary according to the seasons at your latitude. So most people should be striving for nine and a half or more in the winter and in the summer you know maybe eight hours is fine because it's light you're more active and your your hormones and everything are more calibrated to not needing as much sleep but um so you mentioned brant secunda i love that i love that uh segue into the the work you do with him because i know that's a big part of your life um the Wheatchall indians is h-u-i-c-h-o-l if you want to just hit that and, and check out what mark's talking about but you guys do these Um, fit soul fit body retreats right
1: yeah they're they originally started we uh around 2000 we called them sport and spirit and then eventually uh uh and we integrate those two themes of you know getting your body healthy but also getting your internal environment your spirit charged up and and how how can you do that how can you do that in the modern world how can you integrate those two themes of, of moving your body and um, really adopting positive, a positive mindset, a positive connection to life and to your own life to really bring more health and happiness. And so out of that, we were actually offered a, a book contract to um, put a lot of that material in, in written form. And so we wrote a book together that came out around 2007 called Fit Soul. Fit Body, Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You. And um, we actually have one of our workshops coming up November 7th through 9th here in Santa Cruz right on the on the uh, Monterey Bay. It's, uh, oh. it's a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and it's a, just a great uh, few days to be able to sort of re- retool how you approach y- your workouts, maybe look at new ways of eating that uh, that can sustain the goals that you're after make your he- hormones healthier, uh, you know, really be given some tools to learn how to quiet your mind so that you can be steady, so that you can hear the answers to the big questions you have in life and to uh, just experience a great community of people for those days. You can you can get more information on that by going to um, our website, fitsoul-fitbody.com.
0: Well said. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm wondering... Um... Have you have you put any NFL players through the the, the program? <laughs>
1: uh maybe they could use it. I'm not sure. We haven't had any NFL players. We've had um we've had some world champions, we've had people who are very 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 overweight and do zero uh physical activity. We've had people that are very spiritual and those who've had no no ex- exposure to anything related to nature or to you know connecting with your heart those kinds of concepts and so you know we've had the whole whole gamut of of people and everybody walks away with feeling like yeah now i understand i i get i get it now i have i have kind of a blueprint that i can use to e- evolve my personal journey here and and to to get healthier to be happier to uh relieve stress to like I said, learn to quiet your mind, to just make that commitment to, to make a connection with nature every day. You know, I ask people, okay, you're stressed, so just go outside when you're feeling totally stressed. Go for a walk for five minutes, ten minutes. Just get out there, breathe the air. And, uh, you know, you ask people, have you ever gone for a walk before in your life? And they go, of course. And you say, well, how did you feel when you came back? Clearly, everybody feels better when they came back. You know, it's just, uh, we're just hardwired that way. We move, we feel better. We're outside, we feel better. We're in rhythm and in sync with the seasons, we feel better. Why not feel better?
0: This podcast is going so well. I'm I'm totally digging it. And listeners, you you get how Mark's like hitting the same wavelengths that we love to talk about, like hardwiring and everything. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it right now. I know the listeners are too. And the reason I brought up that, uh, that quip about the NFL players is it, it feels like you've been on to this secret for so long, Mark, through your competitive career and now as a coach, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. But um, it feels like a lot of peak performers, such as, for example, an NFL player who has become basically a gladiator, paid large sums to go and you know crush people, um, but it's so one-dimensional. And it, it leads to such um, struggle and, uh, uh, and problems off the field as, as we're all so well aware of now. Um, so, you know, the average person who, let's say, is pursuing a triathlon goal and now you're coaching these people, um, I want to ask you, you know, how do you integrate some of these advanced or progressive uh, theories into the nuts and bolts of going out there and working your butt off to pursue um, these, these challenging endurance goals?
1: Well, you know, I always tell people that um, athletics can be purely an athletic event or it can be more. You know, if you go to a race or, or uh, you have a match, a tennis match, or you're a football player and you win the game or you cross the finish line and set a PR or you win, win a road race, whatever it is, um, you know, that certainly can be a an enriching, fulfilling, fun experience, you know, to have achieved that success after you've done so much work to get there. But I always tell people there's a whole other level beyond that that can really touch you deeper, touch your life deeper, if you're willing to look and and ask yourself, what did I really learn from this? You know, what what were the lessons for me that I can use later? And, um, you know, often often we end up kind of going to that place of looking, what is it that I can learn or 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 gain from this? What did I learn about myself? When we have the bad races, because we got to salvage it somehow. And so it's like, okay, I got last or I I had a a lousy Ironman, you know, I I was an hour slower than I went last year. You have to salvage it somehow. And so a lot of times you will look and say, okay, yeah, I I had a bad race, but I stuck with it through those moments where it was really tough. And I just broke it down into smaller chunks. And then I, I found that place inside of myself that said, hey, I'm lucky to be out here. And uh, then it eased up and then I finished. And you know that kind of a lesson can help you anywhere. If you're in a tough position in life and things aren't going the way you hope, and all of a sudden you can find that place like wow, maybe it's not ideal, but at least I'm still alive and I am still engaged and my life is still continuing. Then all of a sudden you feel gratitude and then it, the whole complexion changes. You know, those are the kind of lessons that you can learn through competition, through sports that are, they're, they're the gold. You know, that's that's some of the stuff that maybe you will only learn because of those difficult things you had to face in, in your competitions. And so... Yeah, you know, I try to tell people have it be an athletic event, but have it be something more for you. And if you can, if you can find that something more, uh, then it's it's some. Then your performances will be something that not only enrich your your own life, but they'll probably inspire others, and they'll also be lessons that you'll be able to use to help other people out. And I, I'm not so sure if uh, you know a guy in the NFL is having those kinds of reflective experiences about what they're doing out there, but certainly it could be something that that's what happens. You know, I I wrote a, a, another book that just got released called The Art of Competition, and there's 90 quotes in that book that talk about competing and, and personal challenge and, and achieving personal excellence that are a lot more thought-provoking than just numbers in a logbook and how many quarters you need to do on the track, that kind of a thing. And each each photo is paired with a photo from nature. Each quote is paired with a photo from nature, laid out in two-page spreads. And so I've, I've integrated kind of a lot of these themes that we're talking about today, Brad, of, you know, the photos from nature, they're like the, aha, wow, look at that, you know when people just look at the the images they feel good and then when they read the words and and think about it and let them soak in deep uh then it touches them on a on a broader level that will help them in anything that they're doing i think i think that a lot of people are missing the greatness of sport because they are just focused on the numbers and the results and those who have transcended the numbers and the results and found Themselves and found parts of themselves they never knew they had because of the sport, uh, because of sports, because of athletics, the community and the training. Um, that's that's where that's when sport really becomes something great. You know, I, I just wrote something that I put up on Facebook the other day. It said um, something to the effect of Iron, Iron Man forces you to become less of who you think you are and more of who you are supposed to become. <laughs> and um, I think that's you know that could be said really about anything that we're doing but if you're putting a lot of effort into athletics allow that to transform you and make you a better person
0: let's take a moment of silence to absorb that for a second
1: <laughs> okay that was a little heavy huh that you was know, awesome it was, that was awesome. I, post- I posted that and hardly anybody comment <laughs> yeah was, was it was it not shallow enough for everybody what? i don't get
0: it you get more comments on oh i just i just got some time in the green room with eight foot eight foot swells awesome mark that's killer dude wish yeah, i was there I'm,
1: yeah one of the biggest one of the biggest facebook responses i've ever ever had was i i um, post i have a cat and i i posted a picture of the cat and i just put the question dogs or cats <laughs> and i had i had hundreds of people oh dogs because oh no cats because you know anyway. endless
0: debating back and forth yeah <laughs> um
1: so before we uh before we wrap
0: this up there's there's another um element that I, I think you've already given us some clues about having that mindset going into pursuing endurance goals or any kind of uh challenging fitness goal um but as you probably know the primal blueprint likes to um, disparage these trends toward chronic cardio as Mark calls it where your endurance pursuits or or your fitness pursuits of any kind become so extreme that they compromise your health because the stress becomes chronic rather than intermittent or sporadic which is more what we're hardwired for Mm -hmm. so you have these guys you're in business it's called Mark Allen online right the, no, the coaching actually, website.
1: I changed it. It's called oh. MarkEllenCoaching.com. Okay,
0: markallencoaching.com. Yeah, yeah um, actually it'll it'll
1: be uh, <laughs> up in probably about two weeks.
0: Well, by the time we air this, we'll maybe we'll time it with the launch of that coaching website. But you've been coaching for a while, and so yeah. people people show up at your doorstep, your virtual doorstep. I don't know, maybe some t- people stalk you in Santa Cruz, I'm not sure, but um they show up and they say, "Okay, uh I got a family, I got little kids, I got a full-time job, I've been executive busy, and I want to do this Ironman distance triathlon." So right now we're in a we're in a bit of a um, conundrum about how to preserve health with such an extreme and fully packed life. So how do you address Address that physical element of of doing um, the sport in a healthy, balanced manner.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, Brad. Because um, a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of coaches just train for endurance events uh, at at, a, at way too high of intensity for the body to be able to have come out the other end healthy. And so I I'm very careful with my athletes and making sure that. Um, the majority of their workouts are, are fairly aerobic. You know, they're, they're physiologically low stress on the body. And, you know, every now and then, clearly if they're going to have a, their, their ultimate peak genetic performance, they have to do some faster speed work. But I, I parse that out very sparingly because, uh, you know, high-intensity endurance training will just ruin your body. It ruins your body. If you don't get injured, you know, your whole cardiovascular system is gonna end up looking like a, an old jalopy very early in a in life. <laughs> so um, you know, and, and it's interesting because people that come with, to me from other coaching services where maybe they've had some good results, but maybe some bad ones, uh, you know, at first they're like, wow, you're having me go so slow, it's not doing any good. And I'm going, no, no, no. It's you're you're getting the right type of training now and over time they see that um you know those little niggling injuries go away because their body is is not overstressed uh they feel good they're not exhausted all the time and in the end and they have these great races uh feeling solid all the way through and, and not taking as long to recover and you know i th- i think that's just a stamp of approval that shows that you, you do need to train, but you don't need to train as hard as you probably thought you did to have great results. And so, if if people can sort of temper that type AAA enthusiasm and go back to, as you're talking about, how we're hardwired from ancient times, you know, our ancestors did not go doing intervals and fart lick up and down hillsides. Everything they did was steady. And that's how we're hardwired to get more healthy is to do fairly steady, low-intensity type of um, exercise. And if we do that, then our bodies are gonna get stronger and healthier and we'll live longer. But the whole uh, type AAA speed work three times, four times a week, long rides, killing yourself, long runs, running super hard, well, we all know what the results of those are.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we've had to sit here and watch our peer group uh, numerous members of uh, you know the old-time triathlon guard uh, suffer from serious cardiovascular problems, heart attacks, um, heart abnormalities that cause them to immediately end their careers and so forth. And it's it's getting to be it's a topic that Mark's written about on Mark Steynly Apple uh, mm-hmm. from time to time. And it's it's no funny business that you know this this fitness pursuits uh, can can quite quite easily compromise your health if you don't do it right mm.
1: that's the that's the key of the balance right
0: and in the last uh, you know couple decades have you seen some breakthroughs in terms of advancements technology that uh, perhaps allow people to I know they're still not going as fast as you did 25 years ago in Hawaii which is pretty incredible uh, but overall is is it easier to train smarter and more effectively now? I mean we're really getting big on this HRV thing, for example, and I don't know what else you've seen out there that you really like in terms of progress
1: yeah the the uh, The things that measure heart rate variability are seem to be really good as far as um, giving people a, a fairly black and white um, read on what's going on in their body. you know are they exhausted even though their brain is telling them they need to go out and do those workouts or are they actually physiologically able to will they be physiologically able to absorb this big session that they have coming up and um, I, I think that's probably the, the single most um, important tool that has come out recently as far as helping people dial in their their workouts and their training so that they they do enough, but they don't overdo it as many people have done in the past.
0: Yeah, and there's also um, you got to put in a plug for that that low tech option too, where the guy who's sleeping in a little bit and missing the start of the workout. Um, I think that's a I, that's why I like to tell that story. It's a pretty profound, um, <laughs> you know, insight that you're you're committed to the you know the correct process and the healthy process more so than the ego and all these frailties and, and um, you know misguided uh, approaches that, you, that we see so frequently with you know the, the run-of-the-mill person just walking by the window of a, fa- a fitness facility and seeing someone struggling on the stair climber the elliptical um, and realizing as you just mentioned with your athletes you, even the top top athletes in the world are mostly comfortable during their training sessions is, is that is that correct i mean you're not killing yourself every day but you're going fast and and you blow by someone on the sidewalk and they're like wow there goes mark allen he's really running fast but to you the pace is comfortable
1: yeah you know i
0: <laughs> i know they don't say that anymore mark and when you're you're jogging yeah, well, by i but...
1: just haven't blown by anybody recently <laughs> Let me see if I can remember what that was like. I, you know, years ago, a couple of years ago I was in Boston at a, you know, it was in February. I was giving a talk and uh got in that uh, in the evening and I wanted to just do a little exercise. It was freezing cold, so I went to the the little health club thing in the hotel and was running on a on a treadmill and you know I wasn't paying attention to the pace or anything but the thought occurred to me let's see when I when I did Ironman I ran about just over six minute mile pace you know 605 610 sometimes a little faster for sections and I thought I wonder what that feels like because I (laughs) oh no I oh my god I haven't measured anything for years you know decades so um, I start clicking the up button, you know, to get the thing to go faster and faster. And finally, it dropped down to a six-minute mile. And I lasted one minute. And I thought, oh, my God. I I felt like I was sprinting there. And I did that for 26 miles straight with no rest.
0: Off how the was, bike, off a 112-mile yeah. bike ride.
1: How How is that possible? And it, it just shows that, um, you know, you get yourself ready for the task at hand uh, at the time that you're doing it. And uh, I I think it, it takes a lot for people to, um, to let that experience be enough at some point also. You know, like if I tried to train and maintain that level of um, fitness now, I'd probably kill myself. Um, but I did it for a period that felt like it was the right amount of time and then I said that's that's it that's enough if I keep doing this I will it's going to draw something out of my vital vital life energy and I don't want to do that and so at, at age 38 I walked away from the sport retired from competition and since then you know I I exercise almost every day but none of it is intense rarely is it intense I should say um it's it's certainly more holistic with uh, surfing And, um, I feel good when I do it, but I don't push myself at at all ever. I run, you know, but I'll run 30 minutes, 40 minutes and just, I'm cruising, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to set any standard and I do some strength training because I think that's also important. But, um, where I'm getting at with that is that, you know, I'm 56 and I feel extremely healthy, probably healthier than i was when i was racing but i'm i was more fit then you know you're you're right on that edge when you're at the top of peak performance and you're one step away from being injured or completely burned out and um nowadays i'm i'm definitely nowhere close to the burnout edge and uh i'm don't feel like i'm very close to the injury edge either so i think i'm doing things the way the way that we're meant to be doing it
0: yeah. Well said. Thank you. I, I feel the same. Like I'm, you know, in many ways, healthier and fitter in a broader sense, uh, here almost, I'm almost 50 now, Mark. God, everyone's Ooh. getting old. Um, but you know, when I was 30, I felt like I was beat up and, and I felt like I was 80 in many ways, even though I could rattle off, you know, the only thing missing from the picture now is, uh, you can't do an eight hour Ironman anymore and you probably don't care. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to leave the, the listeners with this great uh, quote on the page of your book and, and plug that book again, The Art of Competition. Um, we're here in the the late fall and Christmas is coming up and it seems like a really good christmas gift idea to get for sort of a coffee table thing but it's not just um you know superficial stuff you'll learn some some uh, great insights from the quotes blended with the pictures of nature but they they call the book uh An iconic combination of inspirational quotes forged in the heat of competition and blended with breathtaking photos from the world of nature, it relieves the outcome of being important to bestow the highest significance to the exact moment at hand when nothing else matters. That focus quiets the mind, initiates stillness, and opens up every facet of one's being, in order to lock in and ignite the potential just waiting to be catalyzed moment by moment. When past and future disappear and winning and losing are forgotten, competition subsides, leaving the only possibility that anything is possible.
1: Wow, who wrote that? I know, that's
0: pretty awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if people go to, um, the website is art-of-competition.com. Art of dash competition dot com, and you can see uh, some samples of some of the photos and uh, a little more information on the book, and you can order the book online right there. And um, there's there's two versions. There's a regular edition uh, that's two hundred about two hundred twenty four pages, and then a limited edition that has twenty four quotes that I've taken from the main body of the book and written expanded thoughts on what they what I think they mean and and how they can be used and. Uh, the limited edition has 48 extra bonus pages in it, and uh, there's only 600 of those that are printed, that will ever be printed in English. They're signed uh, signed and numbered, and uh, I've actually sold just over 300 of them, so they're going fast. And once they're gone, those limited editions are gone for good.
0: Dude, I'm on that right now. That's, you have to go to the Art Dash of Dash competition to get the limited edition? Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, you, you can yeah. order either one there, yeah.
0: Or wait till it comes out in French because you know they love you in France. <laughs> Monsieur <Yeah>. Marc Alain, <laughs> les premiers de <competitors laughs> à la championne du Monde du Triathlon de Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then you come out, and uh, one of my favorite memories of you is going to the awards uh, presentation in, in France, and everything's in French, and you're sitting there, uh, you know, in a loop. And then Mark gets up to, to give his victory speech, and he busts one out in French. That was that was sweet. So, Mark Allen, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. I hope you have a great time surfing in Santa Cruz and pursuing all these wonderful new outlets for your uh, awesome, awesome spirit and competitive intensity with the retreats and the books and the coaching. So Mark Allen on the Primal Blueprint podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Brad, thanks so much. Take care.
1: Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all in one nutritional supplement on the planet Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular memory, nerve, bone, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.